Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Chris Evans here with a special edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio featuring the really rather brilliant Josh Widdicombe. I love Josh, his new childhood memoir, Watching Neighbours Twice a Day. How 90s TV almost prepared me for my life. Almost, that is, in brackets, prepared me for life. So he was watching them, I was making them, and here together we both reminisce about them. I hope you enjoy it. Lots of people did, which is why we've turned this into a podcast. Bastard Alexander, over to you. He's a star of stand-up, a prince of podcasting, a titan of telly, and now an acclaimed author. His new book, Watching Neighbours Twice a Day, How 90s TV Almost Prepared Me for Life, is out tomorrow. <laughs> so please welcome a man who has Scott and Charlene to thank for everything, apparently. It's the wonderful Josh Whittacombe. Morning, Hello. Josh. How are you? Very well, how are you? Great. What a song. Lovely to hear it. Isn't it? It's good, isn't it? Uh, So this book, it is a love letter to the telly of the 90s. First of all, before we talk about what's in it and your take on uh, telly, tell us about where you watch telly, where the telly was for you. Uh, I used to watch telly as a kid a lot on the floor, more than on the sofa. Just give us a sense of, of where you were watching and how yeah. you were watching before we talk about what you were watching. Okay, so I was I grew up in Devon on Dartmoor and so I lived in a kind of house in the middle of nowhere and uh, half my house was my gran's house and I'd watch some of it in that with my gran and uh, half of it I'd watch on my own kind of on the sofa that um, yeah I'd just sit on the sofa or I'd sit on the floor and it was like you know this is the TV you can't go too close to the TV in those days because it's like dangerous for some reason that you don't know <laughs> which why which it wasn't at all was it <laughs> well, I don't know you'll any... ruin your eyesight yeah exactly no no my genes will ruin my eyesight <laughs> yeah, mostly yeah, exactly or the sun perhaps but not the not like channel 4 that's not going to ruin my no, eyesight no that wasn't the reason I'm wearing glasses now <laughs> so I'd sit there and I would just watch TV unlike now when I'd watch TV and I'd have my phone out or I'd watch TV and I'd be pottering you're actually watching the television yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You were consciously everything that was on it. That was all you were doing. Did you love the telly? I adored it. I didn't realise how much I adored it. I was like, I grew up on Dartmoor, so people were into Outward Bound stuff. I had no interest in that kind of stuff. It well, was... just going out, you were Outward Bounding. Going for a loaf would involve a <laughs> right. compass and a, a flare, <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah, of course. We had, we had a, a post office <laughs> that's since closed down, and that was all we had in our village. But it is like a window into another world, depending on what programme you're watching. And I suppose the more isolated you are, not that you were completely isolated, no. but Dartmoor, you know, it's not the densest, most densely populated no. place on the planet, is it? Um, you know, and I know what you said, because from what I've read, I haven't read all you, but I usually do read all the books, but I had this awards thing to do yesterday, no which is very, very no important. Pressure. The uh, NHS slash Who Cares Wins Awards, which is amazing. Um, but Rachel's read your book cover to cover. I can't wait to, to oh, read it in full. But, you know, um, it's, it's, it's escapism and also a desperation to therefore then go and actually escape and find out, go and seek out Nirvana. Um, yeah. Because so, some programmes you could sort of pr- probably um, get to one day in the future, and others were completely fictional. So, so you know, in a league table of the genre of telly that you enjoyed, mm. how, where would you, how would you categorise that, the, those dif- different programmes? Well, I, I can't, so obviously you'd go through these phases. So when I was like, first started, for the, when I was, 
8, 9, 10, 11, whatever, all we wanted to do was live on Ramsey Street. Do you know what I mean? And all we do... And it's that, you know, the cliche of you had to have watched Top of the Pops in the, in the 80s or the 70s to be able to talk about it. You had to have watched Neighbours. You had to have watched it to talk to people the next day at school. We lived our lives as much on, the, on Ramsey Street as we did in real life. Yeah. And, like, re-watching these shows to write this book... Uh, almost, it sounds mad, but it's almost a more vivid memories than your actual childhood. Uh, watching these, watching Gladiators, like hits me like a kind of nostalgic. <laughs> Gladiators is a yeah. good show, wasn't it? Now, Ramsey Street's interesting. And by the way, everybody chip in. This is a, 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 a free for all. See, because Neighbours, you know, I was sort of too old for Neighbours, even yeah, though it's yeah. a massive phenomenon. But because I was hosting the Big Breakfast, which I know you talk about in the book, yeah. and, and very, very, very fondly, so thank you so much for that. But we had a lot of guests on from Neighbours, which I didn't really get, but all the kids who watched the show loved, you know, the people that we had on. So that was a funny old thing as far as I was concerned. Mm. And so other references in your book, you know, because I think... You have a very wise and witty and pithy head on young shoulders, or younger than my shoulders anyway. But I do think you're quite old for your time. And I think mm. I was quite old for my time as well. Yeah. I don't know. Do you know what I Do you know what I mean about that? Do, do you get the I sense of that of I yourself? Totally, and I think it's because my parents, I grew up, my parents were hippies. And they so there was very few little rules. And so I was watching everything from very early on. So I was watching like bottom at the age of nine and ten because i thought you weren't even born when some of these programs were on but you were just about yeah i was just but they would just be on the tv i remember watching have i got news for you when i i didn't know i didn't even understand what was going on i mean it's still a good show but it was a great show yeah and it and i'd watch all these shows and it would feel just just so exciting and so vivid and so different from my life obviously um without you know tfi friday was probably the most I say in the book, like, TFI Friday Bar was felt to me like the most exciting place on the it earth. It was better than the Star Wars bar. <laughs> it was better than that. <laughs> you know, and more freakish on occasion. See, it, on page 51, you talk about El Dorado, right? Yeah. And what's funny about this is, you know, we can have the, I have the conversation on the air or off the air about how some of these programmes come about, because mm. you probably don't know, and I do know some yeah, of the yeah, behind-the-scenes reasons of how these came about. El Dorado um, was a replacement for Wogan. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, well, I vaguely remember, like, it being the biggest thing that was going to happen in, um, the connection I had to El Dorado was that my gran, who was an old actress, she knew one of the women who was in El Dorado, right. Leslie Utwin, was a very respected actress. Yeah. And there was this kind of thing, this is going to be the biggest TV show in Britain. There's no doubt about it, this can't fail. And, of course, it, it failed did. in spectacular circumstances. So Ter- Terry was on Monday, Wednesday, Friday mm. on his chat show, and that was the most frequent chat show the UK had ever seen, uh, especially a showbiz chat show. And so it was nearly American Sun, but it wasn't quite. And when Terry started his show, which I think was from the Shepherds Bush Empire, wasn't it, uh, for most of its life, mm. um, he, he was getting 17 million viewers a night. And then that sort of, that sort of began to decrease, but it's still pretty healthy, you know. And uh, in the end, it went down to a point where uh, the then head of entertainment at the BBC, Jim Moyer, said, you know, Terry, we need to talk about this. And Terry said, OK, I get it. Maybe, you know, all things come to an end and maybe this is it. And the, the problem for the BBC was not coming up with one new hit show because it was three slots and it was yeah. seven o'clock on BBC One. And so they thought, well, the chances of coming up with three hits to replace Terry because it's a big old hole. I mean, this is the thing, you know. So if you ask Wogan, you, you know, you better be sure because, <laughs> you know, where's the grout that's going to fill those cracks, those schisms, you know, those canyons? Because that's what they are. You know, yeah. and, well, basically they should have left the show on. But 
um, they thought in their complete lack of wisdom which they'd already sort of <laughs> f- furrowed the plough of they just thought well we're, this is so we now realise we're never going to say it out loud we're so crazy we have to get even crazier so let's not let's let's come up with one show that's so good one new show that's so good which you can't do because they're not good until they're on for a while um, and put that on three nights a week and it was El Dor- This the genius plan yeah. was El Dorado it's mad so the mad things they did with El Dorado were like stuff like they'd have so they wanted it they then had this idea we could sell this to Europe. So they will cast loads of European families. Yeah. These families spoke Danish in scenes unsubtitled. So you had <laughs> scenes on BBC One. And you're like, who, who, who can understand this? Like, Peter Schmeichel. That's it. Like, that's the only person in the UK. Like, no, And you've got... They hadn't built the set, so there's diggers on well, set. Well, they had to build stopping. a village. It wasn't a set. It was a real yeah. village. And that was the whole point. And then they built it out of stone... And when they came to record, they were like, oh, all the sound echoes, because we built it out of stone. It was like this... And this is the BBC, who who pretty much know what they're doing when it comes to yeah. broadcasting. But yeah. they, they just had this massive brain fart over the whole yeah. thing. I mean, it started off with Let's Axe Wogan. And, you know, once that sort of um, switch had been flicked, um, there was no going back. But what they could have done the week after was, let's just, let's just not Axe Wogan. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> How about we do that? <laughs> you know, because it was it was fine. And um, back to neighbours. So, what time did you watch? By the way, because you're all neighbours, the neighbours generation. Yeah. I'm not. I'm just, oh, I'm just love neighbours. Half generation <laughs> old. Even though it's random people on my age watch. So, when did you watch your neighbours? Because did you watch it straight after school? Can you remember what time it was yeah, on? 5, it was on five thirty-five p.m. Right. And then there was a lunchtime one which was on at one forty-five right. that you got to watch during the holidays or if you were off sick, off sick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Now, that, that's interesting because. There's a story. So Michael Grade was in charge of yeah. commissioning neighbours. Do you know this story? No. So so it was commissioned as a daytime. It was bought. It was commissioned as a daytime soap in Australia, but it was bought by Michael Grade for the BBC as a daytime watch. Um, and he paid. I think it was the most the BBC had paid for anything like that ever. And it was loads and loads of money. And Reg Grundy who ran Grundy Television, was the genius, the first ever genius, who made the show and kept the tapes, as opposed to reusing them to save uh. money. And everybody said, why are you keeping the tapes? He said, because I believe people will want to watch the same programme again and again and again. And the constant points of view complaint to the BBC was, dear BBC, repeats, repeats, repeats. It's all you get on the BBC. Look at Netflix now. Hmm. Yeah. You know, look at Amazon. This is They live on their back catalogue. And of course, Reg Grundy said, I believe this is going, This is the way forward. And Michael Gray agreed with him. So he bought, so he bought the back catalogue yeah. and the shows that have still been made from Neighbours. But they put it on in the day and it bombed. Did it? It bombed. And Michael Gray's daughter was off school sick. Right, yeah. And she started watching this amazing show in the day, and she said, "Dad, what's this program?" Oh, he said, "Don't talk to me about that." <laughs> you know, I think I might lose my job over it. She said, "But Dad, my friends would love this. Why don't you put it on when we can watch it after we get home at school?" The next week, he changed the time of it. Seventeen million viewers. 20 wow, million viewers. Boom. that's the story behind that one. She's now head of commissioning at BBC One. <laughs> no, she. Uh, I think she owns Universal Studios. Uh, <laughs> something like that. So where do we go next? I mean, look, uh, live and kicking uh, the big Saturday morning. Saturday morning telly. Yeah. Off you go. Uh, <laughs> well, obviously, live and kicking was felt like the coolest thing for <laughs> kids. It was like basically live and kicking was. Uh, it was it was a prepubescent TFI Friday in that sense. Do you know what I mean? It was it was t- Trevor and Simon, yep. which was your comedy, which were two people that were far and fi- still are hilarious. Yeah, they 
you were like, these these are Vic and Bob. These aren't why are they on kids TV. They were so good. It was and it was so rebellious. It had that air of rebellion about it. Yeah, it? it just felt so exciting. And you had Zoe Ball, obviously, who's brilliant, and um, Jamie Theakston, yeah. and you. It, it felt like, you know, it's that feeling... The best TV is the stuff that feels like it's just about to go wrong mm -hmm. the whole way. It yeah. feels like anything could happen at any point. And Live and Kicking was that kid's TV show, and you'd watch it, it'd be like four hours. And it, you wouldn't ever look away. I don't know... I mean, my, I must have watched so many hours of television <laughs> as a child. Yeah, but as a child, you know, yeah. you, you've got all that going on, haven't you? Um, and you say, you know, it was pre-TFI Friday, but in a way, Live and Kicking and TFI Friday, they conflated. And so, yeah. and so did... Um, and Deck in the end over mm. on um, over on ITV, uh, SMTV. Oh, my last appearance on telly for five years, I think, was on SMTV. The night, <sighs> so we did. I did my last ever TFI Friday. Yeah. went out all night and pitched up as a guest on SMTV oh, the next wow. day. It was I can't. <laughs> I can't remember much of it no. to be honest. There's, 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 um, and also, we, I had to learn a script to be in. Was it mates? Chums. Chums. I had to be chums. in chums. Yeah. Which you had to learn a script for. I had no idea what the heck I was doing. <laughs> Did you at But it was awesome. It was. I like you say you were watching the, my shows and other shows. You know, in Dartmoor. And you, what were you thinking? I just, were you thinking I want some of that? Or, or? Well, do you know what? It didn't. I wasn't because I did, it felt so untouchable. It, it felt. I've been to London like once by the time I was 16 or whatever, it didn't feel like I could do this. I could be there. It felt like that's that thing that's untouchable in the same way maybe like a Hollywood movie would feel now or whatever. Do you know what I mean? These things felt completely divorced from my life. You know, I don't... I've, I've, I've talked to Channel 4 about this a long time ago, not a long time ago, um, uh, in the recent past, about taking that that rolling format of Saturday mornings and sticking it on Friday night. Mm. And just, you know, why not? It's not expensive if you actually... You know, the longer the longer shows on telly for, the cheaper it gets because that's yeah. just how that's just how the formula... That's just how the maths of it work. And I do think this, this open-ended show to... Be, I mean, we sort of did it. When TFI Friday came back for that... That twentieth anniversary edition, which wasn't the twentieth, it was the nineteenth, but we just got we just got it wrong by a year. But nobody noticed. It was hilarious. <laughs> TFI came back on, and Jay Hunter, who was in charge of, of um, Channel Four at the time, um, I phoned her up on the day of the show, and it was going to be live. And yeah. I said to her, uh, "I said, Jay, we've got too much in the show." And she said, "And I said, can we just stay on for longer?" And she said, "Do what you want." <laughs> so, so we did we stayed on for as long as we wanted to you know um, and I just think that there's room for that now not on Saturday morning but especially yeah. you know your lot of 40 odd right yeah and they still they've got renewed juice and old juice to draw yeah. from um, my lot would be bang up for that and kids would think it would be their first ever naughty show you know like, like you'd, the first show you could watch after nine o'clock were allowed to watch after nine o'clock by your parents that was all that was a big deal that was a rite of passage yeah that was very exciting like and that's uh, that comedy to me felt so exciting because it felt so the comedy at that point there was this period where like nine till ten on a Friday on BBC Two and Channel Four were consistently these amazing comedy shows like the Father Ted or Shooting Stars or Fast Show or yada 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 yeah. and those shows felt like you're right it felt as exciting as music felt do you know what i mean it, i know the comedy is the new rock and roll it's like the classic cliche but at that point in the 90s it felt like all that comedy was a, a way into a world i think in a way that pop music or punk music or the beatles in the 60s or whatever felt to other generations yeah. and that that was the kind of tv that completely like changed my life and the life of 
so many of the, our kind of peers and yeah. so many people that have gone on to be comedians. It's so true. And looking through the way, you know, the order with which you've you've um, um, uh, composed the chapters in the book, it is it's a good, it's a gorgeous read. It's a gorgeous journey, and also it's very telling, because here we go. You know, towards the end, um, thirty odd chapters. Here we go. So you got. Um, Curveballs, typical Whitaker-esque curveballs like Election 97. You've got to throw that one in. Gen- by the way, genius. <laughs> You've got to mention it. It's a, it's a big... It's of course a, it is. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was a, a seminal election. Of course it yeah. was. It was, um, it was seismic. And then I'm Alan Partridge, of course, uh, commercial break. C-Fax. You've stuck C-Fax in Yeah, there. I don't think you can talk about 90s TV without discussing C-Fax yeah. because it was such a big thing. Well, how many test matches were watched in exactly. the pub via C-Fax? Yeah. And you'd watch it in Dartmoor and we didn't get proper fa- TV signals. So you'd have... Like, you didn't get all the letters. C-Fax so you're trying to work for you is probably like scores. Star Trek on Dartmoor, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> this is the future. It's exciting, isn't it? I think the number's about to change. Um, right, so the TFI, member heavy and badly, which was a, a, gi- a giant, a juggernaut huge, of a show. I mean, that was show. a massive programme, wasn't it? That and Fantasy Football League oh, as well. Oh, yeah. It's the kind of these shows that, I mean, obviously there's shows that define a time. There's shows like Friends, which is now still watched. Member Haven Badly is a show that is so of its time. Yeah. Such a moment in time. Uh, but it's not just like, it'd be really like, um, you'd be wrong to go, oh, it's just a show about two lads. And it's, it, it was a brilliant sitcom. It was a, and despite being called Member Haven Badly, it's a, it's a cast of two men and two women that are just all brilliant characters and brilliant comic actors. And it was an amazing show that almost like defined the 90s as much as maybe Only Fools and Horses defined the 80s. What's interesting for me, Josh, and I don't know if you're doing it on purpose, is you finish the telly shows that we recognise with Big Brother. Yes. Which for me is a very interesting um, uh, point in telly's history. Mm. Before I give you my take on Big Brother, what's your take on Big Brother? My take is, so that was a kind of last show that kind of defined me growing up, but it was also the show that... It changed, marked, it changed everything. I think that along with Pop Stars, which are the two shows that led to the change in reality TV and led to that starting. And they were... There's, if you watch Big Brother 1 now, there's a huge innocence to it. It's really weird. You've got that nasty Nick gets thrown out of Big Brother 1. Basically, for the, you know, the things that happen on Love Island now, and he had a contraband pencil and he was writing people's names down and this was the biggest news in Britain and we were like this is too much these people are big and that was as racy as it felt at that point but Big Brother was the turning point in everything and that feels to me televisually like the end of the 90s and the beginning of the 2000s it's interesting isn't it because it was non-scripted uh, it didn't have artists on it didn't have premeditated uh, content on you know and I think it was really important because it was the defining show of its decade and as was TFI Friday, I think I can say that. I mean, yeah, I was yeah, involved totally. in it. Um, and you go, if you, but it was always the music shows, usually on BBC Two or TFI Friday, music slash guest shows, which seemed to be the uh, zeitgeist from a telly point of view, the spokes, the spoke show for that yeah. particular um, generation. And Big Brother was the first show that wasn't like the others before. So in, in the 60s, you'd have, you'd have 
probably ready, steady, go. And then you'd work through, you could have Top of the Pops, which I think had its, enjoyed its zenith in the 80s. Then you would have, sorry, 70s. Then you'd have The Tube. And then you'd have um, uh, the one with Terry Christian, The Word. The Word, yeah. Then you'd have The White Room, which happened for a while. Yeah. And then TFI Friday. And I'm sure there's some in between I've forgotten. Oh, great, Whistle Test over on BBC, of course. But Big Brother wasn't like that. And it was, it was the, first, the first series. And the first few series were... I mean, you, you must watch telly, you can take your eyes off them, but they didn't have any real content. And that's where content stopped. And for me, I still meet people in bands today who are in bands because they watch TFR Friday or, you know, like yourself yeah. in the business, because not just TFR Friday, but, no, but TFR Friday is a yeah. huge On all the other that, shows. Yeah. All these, and they were very, very aspirational, but you had to do something to be on one of them mm. one day. Yeah. You had to write jokes or you had to, you had to, um, do do what I do for a living, you know, write various programs in various different ways, but, you know, pay homage to the generation game and swap shop and come up with these conceits and, and live ways of hitting people in audiences and giving them the dream they never know they even had, things like that. But there was yeah. real endeavour behind yeah. it. And there was a genius idea behind Big Brother, but it wasn't content-led. And then, it, for me, it became empty still watchable still yeah. massively successful but where was the aspiration in it in the end and in the end there's very little there, there ended up to be you know very I, little aspiration. I, I think that's totally true and i think you end up with these kind of you're it, it's the age of the reality tv star isn't it and it's the rea age of fame for fame's sake and wanting to be v on tv because you want to be on tv and you'd hope even people that you'd consider like you know what really wanted to be famous. So, for instance, the Spice Girls in the 90s, yeah. there was a lot of, you know, they, they wanted to be famous, but they did, they did, uh, they created amazing songs and they created this amazing band. Well, they made a movie. Yeah, yeah, they made a movie. And that, it wasn't just that they were famous for being famous. They were famous for creating five or ten of the songs that you could still listen to today and are yeah, still and totally timeless. Yeah, and sold out stadiums last year, the year exactly. before last year because yeah. of that, because yeah. that resonance of depth of, oh, there's something at the middle, of, at the centre of exactly. all this. Exactly. There, there was yeah. a, you know, that, that Spice... In, like, when I was a teenage boy, I wasn't into the Spice I thought I was too cool for the Spice Girls, yeah. but now I go, that was probably the most amazing pop band that existed in my lifetime. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Somebody and, needs to punk it up now on telly. Sorry, you were going to say Yeah, no, no, no. So, no, go ahead. No, I, I, th I just think that that's the difference, really, isn't it, between then and now, is that I, I also think there's this situation where, because of social media now, obviously, there's no mystery, there's no kind of... Everyone sees everything, and people are far more... You know, they're, they're far more human which in a way is good you see more of them but in another side you don't get these kind of untouchable weird celebrities in the same way that you did in the 90s i mean maybe maybe we're missing a point and you know we sound like two old fogies me much older yeah. than you and maybe it is youtube maybe the new punk is youtube but somebody needs to parachute in on on big telly you know if you forgive the phrase but you know on bbc one or on, on sky max or and they're there everybody's having a really good go and so there's some amazing sort of preconceived written set pieces going on i mean a better to be honest that that is that genre of telly is really enjoying its golden age yeah but big friday saturday night shows and the next takeaway is awesome still i still love britain's got talent um the x factor's gone now isn't it that's they've yeah, they've, they've retired that, that. But I wonder what is simmering away somewhere in somebody's, you know, late teenage, early kiddo's head somewhere. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. What was really interesting writing it is I wouldn't consider myself someone who watches like much Saturday night TV shows. or. But actually when I wrote it, I was like, oh God, like so many of these, Noel's House Party or Gladiators. 20 million views. Yeah, are like... Uh, which is so big, iconic. 11 million views at five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. It was genuinely, it was, um, and it was playing, it was in the Birmingham Indoor it Arena. Great. It wasn't in a studio with 300 people. There was like yeah. 10,000 people another there. Another one or bites the dust, man. Another one bites the dust. Um, was... So, so, fate, do we go for a top three? From top you? three. D- dare we give? Dare we ask for um, TV shows of the nineties? It's up to you. You don't have to. Yeah, By the way, you, do that. you perked up a bit. Oh, well, I just, <laughs> you're I ready said, for no, this one. Do you know what? I just thought I should look at the contents there. Um, well. By the way, please, please accept anything that I'm in. Uh, except excluding TFR Friday. Yeah, I'm so just, we'll I'm just presuming red, it's going to be in there. But that I'd... would have 100% been in there. Okay. But I would have got, I would go with, I think you'd go with, um, Fantasy Football League meant a huge amount to me and totally changed because my life. Because you love your footy. I love my football. It got me into comedy in a way. Well, that was in, punk as well, wasn't it? That was that, a punk show. Do you know what the best thing about that was? It didn't ever speak down. It didn't ever... They'd make jokes that were um, about... So they, they... I interviewed Frank Skinner a few years ago and he talked about like references to uh, niche footballers and the producers would try and take them out or whatever and he described them as these no surrender jokes where they were like, no, these go in. And they were the jokes that meant that the show meant something to people because you, you prided yourself in getting the jokes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you felt like you were in a club. It felt like you were in like a, a niche club where you stay up to 11pm and watch jokes about Carlton Palmer that are not going to be made anywhere else And also you TV. wanted the sofa, you wanted the flat. It was quite yeah. men behaving badly in its own football totally. way, wasn't it? Oh, it was, it was just for people who loved football kind of deeply those jokes about Carlton Palmer or you know yeah. I blame Stuart Pierce. Yeah. And I used to love they did this they did this it was called the Nationwide League then what's yeah. there what's now League 1 League 2. They had a goal of the month competition from from the the lower divisions and it would always be you know goal three from four yards in off his knee you know goal number two accidentally own goal off the keeper's backside and goal number one wasn't actually a goal or something like that it was it was so so funny and the old football was rubbish little chant thing and I spent ages thinking old football was rubbish I still do a bit and it's that that program's fault it was totally and also this was a time before I, mean, I don't want to sound like an old fogey as you say but like now if a funny thing happens on a football pitch it's on Twitter it's on Instagram yeah. you see it this was your only access yeah. to see a football what, have, what have they found this week yeah exactly and how long have they spent looking at this footage and where the heck did they get the footage from screamed all the other shows like Tier 5 Friday at the time where are they getting this from <laughs> and then we then we could try and get something funny we did this a lot we try and get something funny from the world of Formula One, but Formula One, it was, I think it was, they, their going rate for um, footage was £10,000 a minute, and we'd have these big meetings at TFR Friday, go, shit, worth 10 grand. <laughs> <laughs> 
so, and Danny Baker would say, well, last week we floated a, um, uh, a replica, a giant replica of the uh, the Euro trophy uh, down the Thames for 15 seconds. And that cost 25 grand. Oh, God, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Yeah, let's do it. Who cares? And then it might not make the cut, the script cut. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Go on. Then. Um, so, Fantasy Football League, uh, I think, Noel's house party was yeah, just so iconic. It's just so brilliant. And also really clever. Brilliant. As is Anton. Anton next Saturday night takeaway now. You know, it, it leans on lens from shows, you know, gone by. Like, like Noel's house party, like don't forget your toothbrush. But they do bring something very, very new and equally um, worthy of reverence to the party. Yes, I think so. And I, I think, you know, obviously the point of those shows is not to look like your high art. But that's that. So it's really e- clever. It, yeah, really it's clever. really easy to underestimate how good those shows are. But to make it a feature that is, you know, as universal as say NTV, where it, which you got caught on with the cameras. Didn't Tell you? me about it. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, the gotchas or stuff. Yeah. These are things that like are really difficult to get right. And Noel Edmonds is just an amazing. And then obviously. It, Create Mr. Blobby by accident, the kind of biggest celebrity of the 90s. Yeah, and uh, his theme park, um, what was it called? Blobbyland. Was, was it simply Blobbyland? Oh, Blob- he talks all about this in the book. Simple as that. <laughs> right, come on, Rachel, you piling because you have read it and you're really excited about the conversation. You brought back a childhood trauma that I'd managed to bury deep within my psyche, watching yeah. Ghost Watch at oh, Halloween yeah. when I was 12. Yeah, that was something else, wasn't For it? For people it was who terrifying. don't know, because I wasn't aware of this until Rachel started talking about this morning, we actually couldn't shut her up. I said, Rachel, we've got a show to do now. Um, she said, no, no, but you don't, you don't understand. understand. We all got a show, and we all thought, "Hey, Sarah Green, well, what's happened to her? And what's going to happen to us if we keep watching this program?" Yeah. And by the way, I'm never going to trust Michael Parkinson again. No. No. I, it's you, so I watched it a few months ago. It's still terrifying. It's absolutely and amazing. And they claimed that they'd said it was a drama, but yes. there was no. They there was no. Say Hang that. on. So, what, what was it for heaven's sake? So shall I explain? So yes, Halloween night, the BBC kind of announced that they're doing a live outside broadcast from a haunted house. Brilliantly not like a old haunted house but like a suburban haunted house in Northolt and um, and it's just this family that are being terrorised by a ghost called Pipes um, who's like a poltergeist they called him Pipes because the mum used to blame the sounds on the pipes right. and it's Michael Parkinson in the studio and then Sarah Green in the house with Craig Charles as a kind of roving reporter and Mike Smith who was Sarah Green's husband manning the phones which adds a level when Sarah Green's getting terrorised that Mike Smith's terrified <laughs> and it all starts to go wrong first 45 minutes is quite boring and then but that's kind of builds up it all starts to go wrong we all thought it was real it was a drama we all thought it was real <laughs> and it ends with Sarah Green trapped in the house and Michael Parkinson gets possessed by pipes <laughs> and you're like you're 10 and wasn't, and it, it, wasn't it Halloween yeah. it was yeah. Halloween and night. then your parents are like oh it's over and I go to bed <laughs> like, I can't go to bed I'll never sleep again like everything I understood about the world has changed like it's funny because when you talk about it you look like a 10 year old you're like I mean you do anyway to be honest <laughs> yeah, but to be even, fair. even more so. <laughs> but it's just such a mad thing to happen wow it's all in the book right number one uh, number one, uh, I'm going to go... Well, I, th- I think I've got to go with Neighbours, but because we've already talked about that, I'll change my number one to... Um, I think I'd have to go with a comedy show because I think comedy was so important. And you could pick from any number of comedy shows, but I'd choose one later 
in the uh, in the nineties, which was the royal family, which I think oh. never gets doesn't get as much credit as it deserves for totally it changing. Really. I don't know why that is. Some shows do that don't deserve, and some shows don't that do deserve, and that's definitely the latter. Yeah, it, it did at the time. It got it, it, totally it won did. all the awards, but it's time. slightly been forgotten. I think because the Office came along, and the Office was just so amazing, obviously. And but people forget that was the first sitcom that did that. No laughter track. That feeling of reality, that feeling of character over big punchline, that yeah. all of that, and it was, and it had so much heart, and it yeah. was just perfectly done. It just felt like something you'd never seen before. And what Caroline and Craig's genius was, I think, because um, our house was very similar to that where I was brought up, and the conversations were very mm. similar, you know. And and before remote controls, your kids were the remote. Yeah, you know, turn the yeah. telly, turn the telly over, son. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> turn the telly over. Okay, all right, will do. Um, and all they did was they just turned up the brightness on reality because, you know, there were jokes in there. Yeah. But those conversations were already happening and they just... I mean, don't get me wrong, just. I mean, it's yeah. like the, it was genius is what it was because yeah. less is more, you know. And if you, if you go a little bit more than less, it's not enough. And then you have to go more and it becomes grotesque and equally funny. But yeah. if, you're de- if you're dealing in comedy nuance, then you've really got to have... You've got to be tuned into to what you want to get out of what it is you've got. Totally, it was. To- it's, it's a very difficult thing to pitch that right, particularly when there's nothing in the landscape like it. And like, I think uh, you know, I might be wrong on this, but what I understand is that it was Pitt. It was she basically got it through Carolina Hearn by doing another Mrs. Merton, and she was like, you, "You've got to take this kind of thing that yeah. is not going to be that popular." And it turned out to like change the landscape of everything. I think it, it also. It's perfect for the nineties because it summed up how everyone lived, which is around the television. Yeah, yeah. We were. Throughout the royal family, the TV is on, if people are watching it or not. And that's what a house was like. The TV was on and the chats were going around the TV. They were watching TFI Friday once on the royal family. Oh, well, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they were. They were, and they, it, was, it was the bit of the show where we had the naked parade at the end where we all really were naked and anybody yeah. could join in. And I remember the Bare Naked Ladies, the band, couldn't wait to be on the show because they wanted to be in the naked parade at the end. And so they've been watching... T- so for this episode, they're watching TFI Friday all the way through or for a lot of it on on the royal family and um you can hear me saying because you get the glow of the telly and the soundtrack which was the actual audio from tf5 friday and it's me in the naked parade and um jim says uh as i apparently i'm on screen doing my my part of the naked parade he says that reminds me i better get some tangerines tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) anyway um, right, so you're inspired by all this, right? It's in your blood, yeah? Mm. You become not just a fan of telly, but you become a disciple of it, unknowingly a disciple of it. And now you become a perpetrator. You are a perpetrator. You are now inhabiting the life um, that you didn't so much long for, uh, maybe long for, but you thought was out of reach. How does it feel, Josh? It, it's amazing, and I love it. And I, I, You know, I think initially you... Do, you there's, I think there's this weird thing with I, being on TV that you start and you feel I can't believe I've walked into it, and I can't. So when you first do your panel shows, there's something where they play the theme to Have I Got News for You, and you're sat there and you're like, I can't believe it. Oh my god, I'm there, and then you get used to it, and then I think you go through a period where you maybe. You, you don't appreciate it enough. I think for, there was definitely a few years where I didn't appreciate it enough. What I, it just felt normal to me, and I maybe didn't appreciate what honour it was to get to do this stuff. And in the last couple of years, whether it's... I oh know, it's a cliche, but whether it's, like, having kids or whether it's the lockdown or whatever... Or both. Yeah, it, I've really, like, 
begun to go like just try and enjoy every moment of this because this is an unbelievable kind of adventure to get to do it there is a element of writing this book where you go how much of what i'm doing am i viewing through this prism of the 90s television do you know what i mean yeah how much am i able to uh, move what i'm doing away from just going and what i'm doing it's a bit like that do you know what i mean it's like how much of it's just reliving these dreams that i had or not dreams i had but like these things I was obsessed with when I was a kid. Which was the... With, it seems, seems to me, it strikes me as, it's one of those books, and it's not taking anything away from the endeavour that it takes to write any kind of book. By the way, if you haven't tried it, have a go, and you'll see what we mean. But it does seem to me like this may have been not an easy book to write, but it, it may have come to you... Um, more naturally than others were the, were the chapters easy were the chapters yeah. easier than others or was it literally just I'm just going to write down my fondest memories of these shows and, and see how it pans out I, it was a joy to write in the sense of like I loved disappearing into it it right. felt like you were and also a lot of this was done during the lockdown so there was it was amazing to go I'm disappearing back into this completely different reality. And it may be in that way that, you know, I don't know, somebody who writes fantasy loves to disappear in that fantasy world. I almost felt like I was disappearing into this fantasy world of the the, the actual past. Yeah, yeah. And it was a joy to revisit all that stuff and reevaluate it and not slag it off or not, but celebrate it. Do you know what I mean? Because there's so much that's like, looking back and going oh you wouldn't do that now that wouldn't happen that wouldn't be allowed oh things were but you're going it's not a book going this wouldn't have been like it's, it's about going there was all these amazing things that happened and I think it was a brilliantly hopeful time right and it was a hopeful time in terms of the culture of the nation in terms of sport in terms of television in terms of music uh, but politically as well I think there's this weird thing where the 90s was bookended by the Berlin Wall coming down in 1989 and 9-11 in 2001. And between that, it didn't feel as politically heavy. It didn't feel like the world was, you know, in peril in the way that it maybe feels if you're growing up now or if you, my older siblings were growing up in the 80s and worried about, you know, nuclear war and stuff. It and felt like... HIV and yeah, everything was going on. It felt... I, obviously, there was lots of bad things that were happening, as there always is, but it felt like a much lighter time. It felt like a much more celebratory time. Yeah, it was definitely sort of, um, you know, uh, you know when you, when you get a, a thunderstorm and the air clears, it did feel a bit like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that you, you know, the generation uh, below mine, uh, or half a generation at least, um, felt the same way. There's a show to be. There's a show here. You know, there's a show here. Don't you? I hope there's a show here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there is a show. I've yeah. thought, I've talked about it a lot, and you should do it, and it should be on Channel Four, and you should book. You know, uh, the, the tonight's classic clips or whatever you want to call it, cl classic clashes or whatever you want to call it. And uh, you you lay out. Okay, so tonight we're going men behaving badly versus fantasy football league. Okay, first two clips. It's so and so against so and so, and you can vote for it. It's live. Okay, and yeah. we're only going to show one. It's after the break. You got two. Two minutes to vote. Do you want to see Martin Clunes doing this? Or do you want to see Badil and Skinner doing this? Uh, let us know. And by the way, guests tonight include, and you're all watching your telly and you're all reliving your favourite telly. Yeah. I think people, I think that's also a thing where people love to, you know, there's a reason Friends is the most popular thing on Netflix. People want to disappear back into these yeah, things. Yeah. Particularly in the current world as it is, do you know what I mean? Without, like, people want to disappear back to those times. And there's nothing, I think nostalgia is a kind of, dirty word and I'm not saying this is just a nostalgia thing because it's not but like I don't think there's anything wrong with looking back on your 
a, a time you lived through really fondly. I love it. I absolutely love it. You start off with clips of the first half hour. You have a right laugh. There's a bump fight. There's a live studio. And you, there's, there's bands, right? Yeah. You start off with clips. And we're going to go three clips against three clips, head to head. It's the World Championship of sitcoms on Tuesdays in 1993, right? Yeah. And then it's uh, it's it's one episode, a 23-minute episode of one sitcom, sitcom against another, which is the second big vote. And then you finish with a, a movie or something. But there are two, and it's all yeah. one against the other. And tonight you, it's live. We're live on Channel Four. Josh Whittacombe, and uh, tonight you decide what we're going to watch. But we're going to watch whatever you decide together. I'm up for it, Chris. 100% up for no, it. That's, just, that's my involvement. Over. Yeah, that was the beginning, middle and end. And now it's over to Josh Whittaker. Well, you know how you wanted Jonathan Ross to host TFI Friday. You ended up doing it yourself. Be careful what you wish for on this, Come Chris. Come on. No, no, seriously. It's yours. Have it with my love. Thanks for writing the book. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a genuine pleasure uh, to talk to you about it. Uh, we haven't talked at all about your stand-up tickets. Uh, oh, thing. don't worry about that. Uh, JoshWhittaker.com. Just go there and find out what he's up to other than what he's just been up to for the last hour josh oh thanks so a much. joy to see you this book and josh whittacombe watching neighbors twice a day how 90s tv almost prepared me for like what did it miss out <laughs> <laughs> well, there were certain things that you know all right oh we can't not finish with the spice girls we just oh, have to yes please thank have a great you. day josh thank you guys Ta-da, josh whittacombe everyone the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky virgin radio Hi, good was Josh. Josh, would you come in conversation with myself there talking about his fabulous new book, How 90s TV Almost Prepared Me for Life. It's out now and you should pick up a copy. I think you'd love it. Thank you for downloading this special extra edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe for free to get our best bits every week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.